And again, I'm going to disappoint you, so you're going to have to forgive me. I don't have a PowerPoint up. Um, But this series is a detour from where we were in the book of Jude. Um, a, A detour with the purpose of reminding ourselves of simple but profound truths of Christmas. I just thought it was necessary after a sermon on remembrance uh, to stop and pause and remember the gravity of what Jesus has done in his incarnation, what God has done through his son and his spirit. And it can easily pass by uh, because we hear it over and over and over again. But my hope is that we look again with fresh eyes or we remember again what we have forgotten. Because I am, I am not old, but I'm old enough to not be naive that what we learn of the Lord we forget quickly. And we are in constant needs of reminders of God's faithfulness, of his power, of his provision, of his protection, of his goodness. And so last week we started our time in, in the book of Luke, and we're going to be going back to the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we are going to be in uh, Luke Uh, chapter 1. And last week we looked at this amazing thing that happened uh, to a priest, an old priest and his wife, who were past the years of childbearing, who were serving in the temple at just the right time, who had a lot cast for him for a very special purpose to lay incense, to light incense as a symbol of the prayers for all the people. And God drew near Zechariah. And from 400 years of silence, right, God's people, Israel, who had his prophets coming to them, his judges leading them, his kings leading them, went through a major point of discipline in their life. And God spoke in Malachi a passage that one time there's going to be a guy like Elijah coming back to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the wise and the unwise to the the wise, or the wise to the just. In this 400 years, there was this big span of things that happened to this nation. They were deported out of their home. The temple that they had built to honor the Lord filled with gold, and all this stuff was leveled. All the treasures taken. And they're out in Babylon, in bondage, in captivity. No control of their life. And not only that, like, their leaders are changing, you know? Like, now I got Babylon, now I got to adjust to a new leader in Persia. And God allows some of the people to go back and start rebuilding things, but then Persia gets taken out by Greece and Greece, Alexander the Great dies with no succession plan, and then now there's this fight over Israel. And a lot of bad things were happening to God's people. And there were a few who were trusting him, but most thought he was a distant God, not real, doesn't really care, he's not there, he's not speaking, and then God spoke. And then God began to fulfill what he promised. And even in Zechariah's questioning and doubt, 
the sign that he gave to him of the muteness of his mouth was a blessing that he became a picture to the people of God's silence while the promise was in progress, right? So they hid themselves, this baby is born, this child, I mean, this baby is is conceived and growing, and God is at work, which reminded us that no matter what's going on, God is always at work in our life. He is faithful to fill, fulfill what he had promised. And our call as believers is to yield to him. To take our little faith and bring it to him and ask him to expand it. And constantly ask him to expand our faith. We're going to continue this into this interaction and interchange with angel Gabriel and Mary. So if you have your Bibles open, we're in verse 26 of uh, chapter 1 of Luke. And it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child will be born and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, also conceived of a son. And this is the sixth month with, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. It's a short story. It's a a short paragraph with immense significance for us. Luke is doing something when he's writing his story here, right? He, He took time to put together his account. Actually, in the very beginning, he says, I, I work to put together an orderly account. I listen to eyewitnesses. I listen to them. I'm putting together what I've heard from them, and I'm sharing it with you. And really, we could spend a whole lot of time about how that's kind of the process of a disciple. I hear from someone else who knows the Savior, who's led me to the Savior, and I want to give you an account of who the Savior is in my life to someone else. And Luke's putting this together and he's doing this and he's he's laying this information for a reason and a purpose. To illustrate the power of God, to illustrate the preeminence of Jesus. And God is moving and he's working and he's doing a great thing in Israel at that time. And he goes and he speaks to Zechariah and he Elizabeth conceives, and then he comes in the sixth month of that conception. 
right after she's come out of hiding. To a town in Galilee named Nazareth. Which he has to name because it's such a small town. Zechariah, he's at the temple. We, we know where he's at. Nazareth is this small town. God comes and he speaks to Zechariah, this priest, his wife from the lineage of Aaron. These people who are high up in society, they're important. They're noble. Then he goes to a no-named woman who's married to a son of David or engaged, betrothed to a son of David. He goes from the central location of all of Israel, Jerusalem, to an obscure town, to an obscure woman to provide a message of great importance. And he comes to her to a virgin betrothed. Now, many of you know this, but some of you don't. In the ancient Near East, in Jewish custom, marriage was a lot different than it is here in more ways than one. But one part of that is that the marriage process, the engagement process, was a specific thing that was set up. And once that engagement started, it was as good as being married. So but betrothal is a point where the husband and his family gives the bride price to the wife and her family, and then they are legally considered married for a year or more until their wedding day, and they consummate the, wedding, the, the marriage. So Mary, we don't know her age. We don't know really much that much more about her, but Mary was in that betrothal period. Meaning they were married, but they were living separately. And she was a virgin. And God sends an angel to her, and he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But Mary, like any young woman of no station, when an angelic being shows up, was terrified, which I'd assume any of us would probably be. Um, and she was troubled at the saying, trying to discern what kind of greeting is this? Like, why is this guy coming to me? What's going on? Why, why are you speaking to me? I'm a nobody. Why are you speaking to me? And Gabriel says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. To a no-name woman in a no-name town, God comes with his angel to declare to her something that has never happened before and something that is fulfilling of the greatest prom one of the greatest promises God has given to his people. Right? 
Luke quotes Malachi directly. Luke here alludes to what God said to David in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. This promise of a king who would have an, a reign that would never end. This king of David's lineage who would come and bring righteousness and peace forever. And if you're a Jewish person, the obvious thing is there is no king reigning over Israel right now that is from the lineage of David. There's a Gentile king reigning over Israel right now who lives in Rome. And he's set up a megalomaniac over top of us who's enslaving us and taxing us like crazy and making us do all these crazy things because he wants to be God. And to this simple, humble woman, God comes and promises the Messiah, the King. He's coming. And you're going to conceive. Now, like any woman who knows basic biology, she's wondering, well, what's, how will this be? I'm a virgin. How is this going to be? Which is a valid question. Right? The connection here, right? We could, I could spend a lot of time showing how, how connected and how similar the events here are between Zechariah and the angel Gabriel and Mary and the angel Gabriel. Actually, it's there on purpose. They both ask questions. One out of disbelief and one out of just like, I don't really understand. How is this? I just don't, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're wrong. Just uh, there are some components that aren't available to me right now. I don't know how this is going to work. And the angel answered her out of compassion, knowing exactly what she's saying. This is not out of disbelief. This is just a, a valid question. Right? Because most of the scholars at that time were not looking at Isaiah 7.14 as a prophecy that an actual virgin would conceive a child, and bear a son. Because how in the world would that happen? And, and the angel responds to her with compassion. Look, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you and therefore the child will be born and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. God is going to work in you, and he's going to do this. And this son who's coming from you, which if we were going to stay in the book of Luke, we would trace this theme, is different than any other child ever born. He is holy, which in its common sense just means to be set apart in other. In this sense, it's not only just set apart, but he is, he is God. The son of the most high God. Which for us, we think about our sons, and it's like, okay, he's a relative. For a Jewish person, the son was the carbon copy of his father. He was equal to his father. And so by saying this is 
The Son of God, this is God being born in flesh. Immense gravity to a simple person. Absolutely crazy. And you put yourself in her position, you're just, what's happening here? What is, what is going on? If all these, these directions, your brain's going to go, what am I going to tell Joseph? What am I going to do all this? What is happening? The Lord is moving with power to fulfill his promise that he gave to his people. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. See, it's not an odd thing for God to do to have control over the womb. In fact, throughout history, biblical history, God shows himself to be the author of life. The one who holds and closes and opens the womb. The one who creates conception in the body. The one who designed and creates life. And he started this in the garden. Right? Remember, God's the one who out of nothing, despite all uh, scientific inquiry right now, God is the one who created something out of nothing. He took the nothingness, the emptiness, and he made something. How he did all that, I don't know. All I know is he spoke it and it came to be. And out of that nothingness, he created an earth, and he created an earth with dirt, and he, made, take, he took dirt and he picked it up, and he fashioned it together and breathed into it, and a man came to being. Now, if that just isn't like blowing your mind, I don't think you're thinking about that. Right? Clay, dust. I've made, a, I've made a cup before. It, it didn't break, and it holds water. <laughs> but out of clay, out of dust, God created the limbic system. God created the eye, which to my knowledge, we still don't know exactly how it works. Well, we can't recreate it. We understand how a valve works. We can put a new valve in a heart. We can, we can help someone have a new leg, although without the feeling, but at least you can still walk. But an eye, I'm not, I'm not replacing that. Circulatory system, immune system, Everything out of dust. God made that. And then out of that man, God took a rib. And he made woman. That's why women are really good. And so are ribs. Um, it's logic. It puts together, yeah. But, but God did that, right? And I, and I think we forget the miracle of life. And then you fast forward, fall, wreck, everything's a mess. 
What's going to happen? And God selects a man who has a wife, and they can't get pregnant. And they've tried and tried and tried, and they've gone through the sorrow and the pain, which speaking to a group of this, I know there's out there. It's immensely difficult. And he speaks and he says, you're, you're going to have a son. Sarah laughs about it. God says to Abraham, Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and about this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. And he does. And not only that, right? Rachel, Hannah, this, this is consistent. God is doing that on purpose. He's doing that to show that he is the author of life. And at some point, these promises who are coming out of barren women ultimately are going to come out of a virgin, a child who is going to save and rescue his people. And that child, who is not the son of Adam, he is the second Adam. He doesn't carry the sin nature of Adam. He is born from above. He's perfect. He's spotless. He is righteous. And he's here to rescue. He's here to pay for our damages. He's here to pay for our debts. And God shows himself that he is powerfully able to fulfill his promise. God is powerfully able to fulfill his promise. And it's a simple thing we all said, we've all known, but we forget it. God is powerfully able to fulfill his promise. God has shown himself throughout history, his sovereign control over the womb, over life. And then in Jesus, he shows himself as the one who creates life itself. He is the life giver, and he's given life in his son. And he asks his people to trust him. If we're going to juxtapose, juxtapose whatever, however you pronounce that, Mary and Zechariah, Zechariah is the known man, he's, he's the noble person, he's got the position, he's got the, the prominence. She's a humble person. Zechariah is a religious leader, she's a follower. Zechariah doubts God's faithfulness. She embraces it completely. Behold I am the doulos, the slave. You, it says servant probably in your Bible, but slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Not, now hold on, Gabriel, you don't understand. I'm uh, kind of betrothed right now. This is going to create a little bit of a problem in the relationship with the guy I'm supposed to marry. It's also going to create a little problem with the people that I, uh, I interact with and I'm around. I'm pretty sure my parents are not going to believe me because they don't really believe a lot of things that I say. Um, but this is going to create a lot of problems. She could have said that. She didn't. 
I'm your servant. Do with me what you will. And Mary stands as an exemplary picture of what every believer is supposed to be. No-name people. Humble. Who God visits through his spirit. Who God awakens through his spirit. Who God births in them Christ, in you, the hope of glory. Do you understand that? Jesus is being birthed in us in a very real sense. And if you think I'm crazy, turn with me to, if, to Galatians 4. This is Paul speaking to a church who was a Gentile church who had some Judaizers come in and call them into being a legalistic church. If you Gentiles are going to know Jesus, you've got to follow all the rules, all the regulations, you've got to do all the stuff in order to be approved by God. And Paul is doing as best as he can to explain to him that is not the truth. He says in verse 8, Formerly you, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature who are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that you may have, I have, may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I become as you are. You did me no wrong. Right? He's just saying, look, I became as a Gentile to you so that you may know Jesus, because all the other stuff means nothing if you don't know Jesus. And all the service, all the religiosity, it means nothing if you don't know Jesus. So come back to just knowing Jesus, simple gospel. And he continues and he talks And then verse 17, they make, they make I uh, much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. They want to make much of them. It is always good to be made much for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth birth, until Christ is formed in you. desire is that Christ would be formed in you. And that desire and that event and that action is just as much of a miracle. Open and available for all. It's a miracle. The dead man coming to life the broken restored, the selfish giving, the prideful humble, the vindictive merciful. And all of us become this picture 
this need of God working his life of his son out in us. God is powerfully able to do that. So what do we do with this? I think we just take, we take a cue from Mary. What God has asked of us, God will fulfill in us. What God is doing in this body, God will continue to do in this body. Our responsibility is to respond with faith. And what does our response in faith look like? It's accepting what he's asked and offered and being willing to follow where he leads. Accept what he's given and being willingly willing to follow where he leads. And then again, well, what is exactly does that look like? It looks like you making the realization that every piece Every aspect, every moment, every event, every situation in my life is there for me to exercise the reality of the faith that I believe. That Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, whatever's happening, Friday when some crazy person shuts down traffic and all of Delaware, I react with Trust in peace. Not, I'm going to be late to my first job. I'm gonna, they're going to fire me right away. God. This is out of your control. Lord, <laughs> I don't know what to do here, but I need you to work this out. Lord, evidently my plans need to be changed, and I'm going to trust that that's your will. So, Lord, I'm going to bring my complaint to you, and then I'm going to rest that you're going to fulfill that complaint. Lord, I'm going to trust you in this time. Lord, you've called me to go and make disciples. There was a challenge a couple weeks ago to pray that the Lord allow you to bring one person to the Lord by the end of the year. Lord, it seems impossible. I don't like talking to people. But Lord, if that's what you want to happen, please lead me in that. It's, I mean, you just keep on going down the list. Lord, I've been a terrible husband for 85 years. I got this problem. I got whatever, whatever it is. Lord, you're powerful to work in me what you've promised to work in me, the fruits of your spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's able. So as an immediate application, we're going to take communion together. I'm going to ask the men who've been asked to do this, or if you haven't been asked, we just need to quickly follow and line some people up. And we're going to share this. And as this goes, right, this, this is a reminder. This is just a simple reminder of who our God is. 
Jesus, who came, became a baby, who lived a life we couldn't live and died a death that we deserved. His body that was broken open for us. That he's our substance. He feeds us. He is the bread of life. Amen. Would you come down? So as this is passed out, I, look, there has been some tough tension here. I'm going to ask, we just take that and we bring it to the Lord. Remind ourselves of his goodness and his faithfulness and our need to rest and trust in him. We thank him for his forgiveness of us and then we willingly give that to others. Men, would you please pass out the...